welcome back to another edition of Hipster Baseball Podcast, HBP number 97. I'm Dorian, and on today's podcast, we philosophize while having a beer, get stood up by the Chicago White Sox, and special guest Vince Catronio, the Oakland Athletics play-by-play radio announcer, joins us to talk about sports broadcasting. And I've already been in a philosophizing philosophizing with this delicious third-party triple, which is a Belgian-style ale from a good American local brewery called Denizine's Brewing Company in Silver Spring, Maryland. We talked about the Silver Spring Tacoma Thunderbolts back in episode 67, so I'm not going to bore you or rehash what we talked about back in episode 67. The Thunderbolts play in the Cal Ripken Collegiate Baseball League. What I was really wondering is, what in the world does denizens actually mean? And according to the dictionary, according to the internet, are overlords. It means, it's in, the word is an inhabitant or an occupant of, of a particular place. And you know what? I am a denizen. I'm occupying this chair. This beer that I'm about to, have, I'm about to drink is occupying my belly. Am I a denizen while the beer is also a denizen in my belly? I don't know. But I do know that Thanksgiving is going to be right around the corner. And I'm, and I'm wondering, what in the world are you going to eat? What are you going to be drinking on Thanksgiving? And I know I've said this before. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. There's no no, no, no nonsense about Oh man, I got to get so-and-so a present for my nephew's birthday. I got to get my significant other a Valentine's gift. I got to get my significant other or my mom or the next door neighbor or the mailman a Christmas gift, a Hanukkah gift, a Kwanzaa gift. Because even the 4th of July, you're not buying gifts, but you're still buying fireworks for your kids, for your nephews, for your next door neighbor. Even if you're a big kid, maybe you're buying some fireworks for yourself. Thanksgiving, none of that nonsense. It's just food. And if you like to have a drink, some drinks. And most importantly, you're with people. You're with good people. You have, you're have you in good company. You have good food and you have good drinks. Maybe there is nothing more Amer- more American than that. And there's nothing more American than having the, the denizens beer in my belly. There is nothing more American than wasting time on social media. <laughs> And if you're going to waste time and scroll all over social media, spend it with us, baby. Our Twitter handle is at HBP4040, and our Instagram account is Hipster Baseball Podcast. Give us a follow, or not. You know what's not going to happen? The Chicago White Sox Fan Fest, which is actually called the Sox Fest. Back in October, about three weeks ago, the White Sox sent out a tweet saying, quote, due to several factors... Sox Fest 2023 will not be held this January. We recognize our fans may be disappointed the event will not take place. Please check back throughout the 2023 season for updates regarding future plans. End quote. That's some nonsense for the Chicago White Sox fans and from the Chicago White Sox organization. This is the third one, two, three, third straight year the Chicago White Sox have canceled Sox Fest. It was supposed to be held, as you heard from that quote, in January 2023. Imagine if you're a White Sox fan. You're excited. You want to see their catcher, Yasmani Grandal, Grandal from the U, from the University of Miami. You want to see, you want to have a selfie with the White Sox star shortstop, Tim Anderson. 
Maybe you're a Latin fan and you want to see their, all their Latin players. Maybe you want to have, maybe you want to shake hands with Eloy Jimenez. You want to get an autograph from Luis Robert. You want to practice your Spanish skills with these guys. But no, none of it is happening. Most teams in Major League Baseball have something called a fan fest. Obviously, because it's the Sox, they'll have Sox fest, where a lot of the current players are in some hotel room, not a hotel room, but in some big lobby. You have executives there. They have panels. They have all these things for the fans in the middle of the, the winter, basically January. Obviously, you're still a month away from spring training. The season ended months ago. And so it's just, a, it's just a way to say, hey, fans, come out. We appreciate you. Meet some of our former alumni, some of our Hall of Famers, some of our current stars. And it's just a good way to have that good, what we're talking about Thanksgiving, spend good time with good people and good food and maybe even a drink. So that's really disappointing. And that made me think, if you're a big fan of your local college football team, your baseball team, whatever, What's one of the biggest personal sporting disappointments? And I'm not talking about, oh, man, I remember when I was 10 years old and my team lost that big game and it's just been stinging with me forever. I'll never forget that. It was so horrible. No, I'm talking about where you could have gone to see something. He's like, oh, man, I could have gone to see Bo Jackson play college football at the University of Auburn. I could have seen Roger Clemens pitch for the University of Texas Longhorns when he was in college. I could have seen Randy Johnson's perfect game with the Arizona Diamondbacks when he he threw a perfect game against the Atlanta Braves. Whatever. And I was thinking, one of my disappointments is I didn't go to the 1998 it's a college football game. The Miami Hurricanes were playing the UCLA Bruins. And I think the Bruins were ranked, I think, second in the nation that year. And originally, yeah, it was in 1998. The Bruins were, like, going to go for, for a national championship. And originally, the Bruins were supposed to play in Miami at the old Orange Bowl in, like, September. But because the game was postponed because of a hurricane. But it was more that, the, thankfully, the hurricane didn't hit. But Hurricane Georges postponed the game. And so they pushed the game back until December. And so UCLA and the Hurricanes play their whole season, and then this is the last game. So all the Bruins have to do is win the game, and they go to the national championship game. They end up losing to a very average Miami Hurricane team back in 1998. And I remember Edrin James, who then went on to become a superstar with the Indianapolis Colts. Edrin James, I think, ran for almost 300 yards, and it was just the most craziest game. And I was watching it on TV, and I was like, man... I could have gone because I was go I was in the line to buy the game, the tickets, in September. But everyone's talking about the about the the actual Hurricane George is coming by. It's like, man, if they cancel this, we're gonna lose money. So I said, fine, we're we're not gonna buy the ticket. What happens again? Two months later, they play the game. It's one of the greatest games in uh, the late '90s for the Hurricanes, and it was a, obviously something UCLA doesn't want to think about. But that's my thing of, man, I really regret not going to that. And I hope that the Sox, because of three straight years, the White Sox have canceled Sox Fest. They don't really start disappointing a lot of their fans and start alienating, alienating a lot of their young fans. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that maybe they're going to have a better year next year because they have a brand new manager, Pedro Grifo, who used to be the Kansas City Royals bench chief. And you know what? Pedro Grifo, the new manager for the Chicago White Sox, he's from the 
305 from Miami. So cheers to the new manager of the White Sox, Mr. Griffo, Griffo, however you want to call yourself. And by the way, in Chicago, you can still go to a, a fest, but it's going to be called the Cubs Fest because the Chicago Cubs are holding the Cubs Fest in January 2023. Right now, there's no more baseball games. The World Series is over. Maybe you want to watch some Latin American Winter League games. I don't know. And you know where you can do that? At this week's show sponsor. Because this episode is brought to you by the Ultimate Sports Grill. Every seat is a great seat at the Ultimate Sports Grill. Where you'll find more sports on more screens than anywhere else. The Ultimate Sports Grill offers you the ultimate in sports entertainment. With not one, not two, three satellite dishes showing all of your favorite sports. If you don't see it here, you won't see it anywhere. For exciting sports, delicious food, and good fun, it's the ultimate sports grill. Open seven days a week. More sports and only sports. The ultimate sports grill. Cheers to that. Do you realize there's like a Thanksgiving theme here? It's all about delicious food, good people, sports. Awesome. I love it. I just had another drink. You know what? The Oakland Athletics are going to hold their fan fest in January 2023. And this week's special guest, Vince Catronio, might just be there. Today's special guest is Vince Catronio, who is the Oakland Athletics radio play-by-play announcer. Vince, welcome to HBP. I appreciate the invitation. This should be fun. It will be. Thank you so much. For those of you who don't know, Vince has actually been with the Oakland Athletics for over 15 years uh, as an announcer. And when you think about something like that, that's a dream job for most of us. You get to pay, you're paid to watch baseball, talk about it with your friends, your friends and your virtual friends, obviously over the radio waves. But like any job, we have to prepare for it, whether you're a surgeon, whether you're a radio announcer or an engineer. What's that preparation like? Because a baseball game usually lasts for about three hours, but I'm sure you're there well before the game and well after the game. How do you prepare every day for that 162 season plus playoffs grind of talking about baseball? Well, Dorian, it's it's like a player who has his routine, you know, whether it's getting to the ballpark at a certain time and looking at video and getting his body ready and doing some early work in the cage or, you know, doing a side session with the bullpen or long toss in the outfield running program, whatever the case might be. It's the same for us. There are many people that still think the game starts at seven Oh five and we show up at six fifteen, and we, and we just start talking about the game. It's, it's not quite like that. I'm certainly very lucky to do what I do, but the day typically starts first thing in the morning, get up and grab a cup of coffee and just start reading box scores and looking at, different stories from the previous nights and days games. I have uh, a couple of books that I keep track of daily information. I keep a day by day with the athletics, with every position player, what they do in every game, every pitcher, what he does in the game, how many innings, hits, runs, earned runs, home runs, walks, strikeouts. What was the situation he came into? Who did he give up the home run to? Who did he give up a stolen base to? What was the score when he came in? What was the score when he left? I know a lot of this stuff is – is accessible through through the computer. And I do use the computer quite a bit for that. But in terms of being an old school type guy, I kind of still, I, I do use paper. I do use ink. I mean, I use, I'm like a third grader. I've got probably eight or nine different colors that I use on a daily basis because I also keep track every day of every starting pitcher in the league. For instance, the White Sox against the Royals and it's Lucas Giolito against Brady Singer. 
well, I write out the, the Giolito line that he faced Singer, what his outcome was, some notes about the game. Jose Abreu was two for three of the home run or led five to one, lost in the ninth or had a walk, whatever the case might be. And that's just my Linus blanket of, of stuff that I've got at the touch during the course of a broadcast that I can use. Now, certainly there's, there's fan graphs that you look at. There's baseball perspectives that you look at. There's baseball reference that you look at. Uh, there's the MLB research tool, which we have, which I can look at as well, all finding various numbers, if you will. And the numbers do help tell the story, and especially in the modern game. They're there for a reason, but they're not the whole reason to do a broadcast. I mean, you, you try to make the numbers help tell a story about a certain player, why his ground ball rate is the way it is as a hitter, or why a pitcher's strikeout rate is what it is, because he has a particular wipeout pitch, and this is the batting average on that pitch. Why is that happening? Talk to Paul Irvin about the growth of his four-seam fastball or the growth of his of his curveball, and you try to get that story with information from the actual player tied together with the numbers and help you tell the story of, of what that player is all about. But the bottom line is, Dorian, you're still you're following the ball every game. And every game is different. Even for a team like the A's in, in 2022 that lost 102 games, you're still finding things to pay attention to. That game is its own individual chapter. And you have to make the most of that. You have to have information about your team, about the opposing team. I talk to scouts, text with scouts. I have relationships with Lots of scouts because I've been in the major leagues 30 years. I've got relationships with players, coaches, managers uh, to think that I could show up every day and know uh, enough about baseball to just show up and do the game is, is not what is not how I approach things. I mean, I, I feel like I'm learning something each and every day as a fan who turns on the radio where they're conduit. They can't go in the clubhouse. They're not on the field during batting practice. And because I'm fortunate enough to do that, I have to be able to bring that to them. And if something happened the previous night, you know, why did Marcotze make this decision or that decision? And if we talk about it on the air, we do have some conjecture, myself and my partner, Ken Korak. We still ultimately go back to the source the next day. What was happening in that circumstance? Why did you make that decision or a hitter or a pitcher? What were you thinking in that particular moment? And continue to tell that story. So there's certainly, a, you know, you're looking at, what's happening days events day by day uh, with your own team, but you're keeping track of what's happening throughout the course of baseball, because the games that are two to one are easy to broadcast. A lot of drama, a lot of energy, every pitch you're hanging on, you're down eight to one in the fourth inning and your team has lost five games in a row. That's when you've got to really entertain the listener and hope that they stay with you, that you've got stories, you've got other information. And as a radio broadcaster, you have so many paths you can go down. You have to rely on the picture. We're, we're, we're delivering the picture, and we're fortunate enough to be able to have that at the ready if necessary. So there's a lot involved instead of just showing up and uh, right. flipping on the switch and, and going to work. It almost sounds like your nighttime job is a baseball radio announcer, but your daytime job is your local librarian. I'm joking. <laughs> With all the reading and all the referencing you have to do, it almost reminds me of grad school. And there's, and there's just because you do all these things and you jot down certain notes about games or situations, there's no guarantee you're going to get to that stuff or use right. it. You can't just make a list of these are the 15 things I'm going to talk about no matter what's happening on the field. That takes away from what, what the story is in front of you, which is what you're ultimately there to tell is that game's story. Now, if 
if they can tie in together or if there's, you know, free space in a certain game that allows you to use that information, that's what it's there for. But you don't write it down with the intent that no matter what, I'm going to talk about these things, whether or not they have something to do with that night's game. That's that's just not the way to do a broadcast. Earlier, you had said that preparing for a baseball game and talking about it and obviously trying to bring that visuality to people's ears. It's just like any other any other athlete. And a lot of sports fans know that LeBron James allegedly LeBron James allegedly spends about invests about a million dollars into his own body. Your instrument, the way the way you your career is through your voice. Do are you do are you and your broadcasting uh, partner and even the, the Oakland Athletics TV guys? Are you guys doing like octaves in in the the back room? Oh, like with your voices? How, how, what's that work? What's that workout that has with your? I your probably voice? should, but I don't. For for those that are not familiar with our broadcasts on radio, my partner is Ken Korak, who's been there now twenty seven years, and Ken has this voice of God type of voice. My voice is good, but it's not Ken's, and that's okay. I mean, you have to – one thing that you have to get out of your mind if you want to do this business, back in the old days, it didn't mean a lot to have this low-octave voice that supposedly could deliver the sporting event or deliver the news. Well, that, that helps, but it's more in today's game about the content and the delivery and the smile and the pace of your broadcast that, that makes you worth – listen to. So I'm fortunate, knock on wood as I say this, I've only had one circumstance where my voice kind of let me down. I had a little bit of laryngitis for a couple of days. It's probably five or six years ago, just the, you know, a lot of the green tea in the kitchen, chicken soup type of thing. But I don't do anything per se to warm up my voice to prepare to do the broadcast. I, but I the, next season you will though, obviously yeah. after this, after this very illuminating yeah. conversation. My old partner in in Texas, Eric Nadell, who's in the Baseball Hall of Fame as a broadcaster, deservedly so, uh, he has had throat issues in the past, and there were times where we would do games, and he would bring, a, you know, he would he would bring the uh, the steam machine, the, the the portable steam machine, and have it in the booth, and he would use it literally between innings to keep his voice moist, to keep it strong, to keep it workable. I've been fortunate that that hasn't been the case, but I've seen both sides of that. And uh, I also have heard about all the different types of remedies that opera singers have used and other people have used or needed in that, you know, that awful circumstance where suddenly the thing that, that gets you paid, uh, you can't use. Staying up in the, in the booth where most of us are either in the ballpark or watching a baseball game at home. And the TV provides you a very, very limited scope of view for the game. We see the picture. We see the backside of the picture. We see where the strike frame is by superimposed by the local television channel. But when I go to a baseball game, wherever it is, I usually most I mostly go to them on the East Coast. But most of these TV and radio booths are all the way up. I mean, they are like way up in the clouds. And you announcers are able to see all the way down there. But also you have the TV screens. How what's that like? Because I can't imagine not being so far up and saying like, I, I can see the game, but I can't see the game. The reality of that Dorian for, for a few years as interleague play wasn't quite where it is now, where you will have the chance over a two year period to be in every stadium because they're going to rotate each year. There would be times where we would go to Pittsburgh once every five years, let's say. So we'd been to Pittsburgh twice, which had the reputation of being, one of the most beautiful ballparks to be in, but one of the toughest places to work because you are so elevated. 
And in today's game on the on the financial side, where where the press sat, TV booths, radio booths, broadcasters, and also writers, that was prime real estate for teams that had turned around and make those more luxury suites. Let's push those folks higher and higher in the sky. And that's what happened in Pittsburgh. So it is a challenge to do games there where you do have to rely on the monitor, even as a radio broadcaster. And you also have to be aware of just the players' movements when the ball's hit in the air. Because the ball hit in the air from where you're sitting way above, like in Pittsburgh, you can't tell necessarily, especially off the bat, how far that ball's traveling. You see it in the air, but then you've got to watch the are the infielders going back? Are the outfielders going back? Because every ball in the air looks like it's going out. And that's just that's just that's just the perception that you have of where you're sitting. Uh, this year we had the uh, the trifecta of going to Texas. As a broadcaster, we had not been to the new stadium in Arlington because of COVID and unable to travel the, the two years that it was open prior. So Texas was difficult and it was even more difficult because that's a team until coming up in 2023 that you went to three times. So you're in Globe Life Field three different times. And you do, at least I feel, when I've done games there, I've felt disjointed. I've, I have felt removed from the game. And that's hard because you you are, as a radio broadcaster, you're paying attention to where the, where the hitter's standing in the batter's box. Is he moving his feet? Where's the pitcher on the rubber? Uh, the positioning of the fielders. Are they moving with the pitch? Are they in a shift? Are they... Is the third baseman in or back? Is he moving as the pitch is being delivered? Are the outfielders shading, you know, left or right, or whatever the case might be? How's the wind in certain situations? And sometimes you're doing the game at a at that elevation. There, Atlanta and Washington were the three we went to. Washington being the worst by far. You, you find yourself somewhat detached and you lose concentration. And that's the worst feeling to have is just not have that focus where you're right in it, like in the old, old days at the old Tiger Stadium where the players could literally hear you broadcast from the batter's box because you were right there and you had a net in front of you and Ernie Harwell down the hall had a glove in his hand to catch foul balls because it was it was that close and at times could be that perilous. Uh, we don't have that anymore. So yeah. uh, there was a time when working at the ballpark in Arlington, that was considered high, the Coliseum, was considered high, which is my home broadcast position. In terms of positioning, probably Kansas City is excellent. They're all great. Let's be fair. I mean, it's still the big leagues. But, you know, the Angels, you're probably lowest in terms of your view. Camden Yards is excellent. Cleveland is excellent as well. But those higher elevations like you're talking about, they can they can make you detach the time. Yeah. Obviously, we need – to fuel our, we need to be able to focus by having a good, a good line, side of side of line as well as some food. I'm always curious. You guys are all the way up there. What happens when you're hungry? Does your family pack you a lunch pail full of last night's leftover pasta? Do you use a software app and say, "Hey, I want these great tacos here in Dallas or some great Polish food in Chicago"? What's it like when you guys are get hungry? Because I, I, I don't, I, I've never seen any of you guys it standing in the vendor line to go pick up the local pretzel. Let's, let's be honest. The, the, the most important thing to the broadcaster is what they're eating that day. And uh, it, it's to the surprise of no one that in just about every broadcast at some point over the course of the year, on many occasions, the discussion about food and food in that ballpark or food in general in that city does, does get on the air. And it does at times fill a half inning or more, just depending on what 
what's happening on the field. So uh, certainly before the game, we there are press rooms for the play for the you know like the players have the clubhouse in their own kitchen. The press box has its own you know set up, and some are better than others. Some places you actually do go, you do go down to the concessions and find something down there as opposed to what's happening you know, what's in the press room. But look, we're spoiled. It's it's pretty easy. It's it's right behind you. It's it's open for just about the entire game. So if Ken's doing play by play at the time, and I'm not, and even in the in the role of analyst, you can step away for a couple of batters. That means I want to go grab a, a pretzel or something that's in the in the press room or a hot dog. That's not a problem. And certainly there isn't a broadcaster in baseball that I'm aware of that that doesn't think much as much about food as they think about what this what the account is on each and every batter you know this sounds to me like a great opportunity to team up the oakland athletics with all of those silicon valley um, food apps in the area that would be the perfect marriage for you guys that they'll always be delivering the tv and the radio announcers that's probably the giants as well since they're right in the area but we're going to mm. focus on the a's i'm joking but I've, I've always wondered that because your booth's so small and i'm like those guys have to do all the things that you do when you're sitting on the couch watching uh, a game. But speaking of being spoiled and traveling around in Dallas and Chicago and Oakland, you've had an incredible career. You're originally from the East Coast, from Brooklyn. Brooklyn. You grew up in Orlando, Florida, and you've worked all through the minor leagues. And now you're, as I said earlier, at the top of this interview, you've been with the Athletics now for close to 17 years. What is your favorite city to go to? When you look at the Athletics, I was like, okay, we're going to be in Seattle in July and uh, here – where do you genuinely like to go? And do you even have time to see the city that you like when you're on the road? It very, I mean, again, most cities are, are, are great to go, go to. I don't want to disparage those that aren't at the top of the list, but I would tell you uh, from New York, it's love family there. And it's always great to be in Manhattan. You, I enjoy the energy. I enjoy the pace of the city. Uh, Yankee stadium, of course, speaks for itself. Even the new Yankee stadium, while it doesn't have the same charm or the same um, power that the old Yankee stadium had for the home team. Completely still a, you know, a wonderful place to go to. I, I like target field in Minnesota. I like Minneapolis because we stay close enough where you walk to the ballpark. And a lot of times we judge the, the strength of the city on the ability to, to get to and from the ballpark on our own. Uh, certainly we have team buses that we can take and, and do the majority of the time, but, Minnesota, you can walk, and Cleveland, you can walk there and back, and probably a couple of others that, that would come to mind. Seattle, if you really wanted to, you could walk back. Uh, I have friends in, in a lot of these cities. Seattle is a place that I enjoy, especially when the sun is out. Uh, you know, great walking around downtown area. You do get a chance to see the sights. I, I, I do play some golf on the road. I, I get a chance to catch up with friends. Uh, my partner, Ken Korak, is an uh, avid a museum attendee. He goes back to his time with Bill King, who I followed with the athletics, who was well known for visiting museums in just about every city that they traveled to. And Ken has kind of carried on that tradition. I've done it a little bit, not a lot. Chicago's the same way. Great downtown, oh, yeah. great restaurants, have friends that are there, have a family comes to town there. It's hard not to enjoy your time in, in a big league city for all the accoutrements that it provides. There's a, usually you're in a, you're an excellent, you're in a five-star hotel. You're within walking distance of just about every amenity you could possibly want. It, it's hard not, it's hard to, to try to build a case of, boy, it's really tough to go to this city or that city. It may have a couple of challenges, but it's still 
a big league city in right. every way, shape, and form. And you and you enjoy you enjoy the anticipation of of that day, doing your work, going out, grabbing a bite to eat, walking around, checking out the weather, and eventually getting the ballpark, starting the day in the clubhouse, and you know what that game entails. It's still uh, you know, there are still butterflies that come your way every day. I think that's a good thing because you are, you're excited about the possibility of seeing something that you've never seen before or see a player do something that you've never seen before. And that, that's one of the great joys of the game. Completely agree. And I also agree with you. I always tell my, I always tell friends or anyone that's traveling in Midwest, I think that besides Chicago, obviously, Minneapolis is the best city in the Midwest. It just has art. It has food. It's super underrated. If not for the negative 100 degree weather, I would genuinely think about moving there. But I, you could not pay me enough to live in Minneapolis. But well, the lemon ricotta pancakes at Hell's Kitchen are a go-to on the uh, on the traveling circuit for sure in downtown Minneapolis. I'm going to write that down next time I'm Minneapolis in the spring or summer. But speaking of all this traveling and as you have gone through, progressed through the minor leagues and now have been in major leagues and established, there's been a lot. They, you would even say an explosion of sports in America. Now we have pickleball, which I only found out about like uh, last week. F <laughs> Formula One is now blowing up in the U.S. You have obviously the basketball. You have the G League. You have MILB. There's so much. There's such a big, a bigger platform for sports announcers. What would you suggest to someone, either someone young or someone who just wants to pivot to going into sports broadcasting? Because it seems like there's a lot more channels and a lot more leagues popping up all over the country. That's true. You're spot on with the explosion of, of of sports and the ability for somebody that wants to get into the business to to get a chance to get uh, behind a microphone or behind a camera, whatever the case might be, whatever passion they have in in sports to pursue. For me, when I went to school back in the late seventies, early eighties, we had a college radio station that you could barely hear inside my office, but we treated it as such that we had a sports group of people, we had a news group of people, had a music group of people. We all were just crazy college students that had passion about that part of the industry. We made the most of it. We did play-by-play -play for football, for basketball, for baseball, for soccer. We did volleyball. We did sports reports. We did features. We did all, all those things. We, we got a chance to get reps, basically, is what I'm getting to. We had a chance to get behind the microphone and just do it and learn how to do it you know, better each and every time. My son, who works in Milwaukee, works for the Brewers flagship station, does research for WTBS for their for their TV, for their for the playoffs, for MLB playoffs. He works the match when they do the match for golf. He does NBA stuff in Milwaukee as well. He started literally in high school on a, on a on a platform called Spreaker, where on the Internet, you could actually broadcast live high school sports from your computer sitting on literally on top of a dugout at his high school where he played one year of baseball then he played golf but he he did he did cody bellinger's games he did a bunch of jamie westbrook's another guy that played on the u.s olympic team a few other guys that are in the phoenix area where we live that he got that experience and simply there are so many opportunities i mean as you're as you're doing i mean it's not that hard to do a podcast you have the ability to do that it's just a matter of putting it together getting guests, being consistent with it, finding the avenue, that lane that, that works best for you and try to build that audience. Uh, there are so many more opportunities for, for people to do that. And I just simply say practice. Practice as early as you can and as often as you can. Uh, there are opportunities out there, but it is an immensely competitive, 
competitive industry where yes. there are so many people that want to do it. And thankfully, it's it, there are more women that are involved now and they're they're rising through the ranks and making the most of their opportunities, not just the typical sideline reporters, which there are many of, but now there are several female play-by-play people, which are outstanding. They've always been strong female sports anchors uh, from coast to coast. So there are opportunities out there. And if you want to do the other things, if you want to be a director, you want to be a producer, you want to work camera, uh, it's in part maybe going to a school like Arizona State, where as a freshman, you get immediate hands-on experience and you get tied in with a Pac-12 stream. I'm sure Big Ten schools have the same thing. I would imagine the ACC conference and those schools have the ACC network and the streaming and opportunity for students just to start working, shaking hands, making contacts, and building that resume of people see your work, trust your work, and want to hire you to do the work. Uh, for me, I was I was working college radio. I want to be a play-by-play guy. Marv Albert was the guy that kind of got me started when yes. I was a teenager when we went back to New York. <laughs> uh, one of my grandparents passed away when I was a teenager. They turned off the TV sound. Marv was doing radio for the Knicks and we were watching the game and listening to him and I just and I'm not I don't do a whole lot of basketball I did years ago not anymore baseball is always my favorite sport but just the the connection that my cousins had with this announcer their favorite team was the Knicks and they wanted this person to deliver the message and that was so cool back then and eventually I was an intern at NBC simply by making a phone call and I tell college students all the time you've got to get an internship and you've got to begin to develop those contacts and you have to start the high at the highest level. If, if you wanted to work at NBC, which I did, I called them. And if they told me, no, then I, what's the next place I wanted to go to. And unfortunately NBC told me, yes, we're in the summer of 1981. I worked at NBC radio, made contacts, eventually got to work at the Olympics for them. Still friends with people from 40 years ago that I worked with that I have that, that are in the business That's incredible. and have helped each other, you know, along the way. I, I had a, a, a college student from Central Florida. I went to school at UCF. She was in the process of trying to get an internship. This was two years ago. And I said, where do you want to work? And she goes, I want to go to the Washington Post. And so we asked them for an internship. She goes, no, pick up the phone. She got the internship, worked well. She Getting the internship is one thing, but then you have to work. I mean, you have to prove yourself. And certainly right. she did because she got hired by the Washington Post right out of school, which doesn't happen very often. And when you have that on your resume, it opens up a lot of doors. So those are the things I tell students all the time. So now practice at, don't be afraid. At, it's like in sales. Don't be afraid to ask for the sale. If you're told no, take the next step and just keep working your way down to wherever you are on that list and go from there. You've now inspired a gauntlet of young men and young women to become sports broadcasters and when they actually do when their team whatever that sport is actually shows up to the Oakland Athletic Oakland Bay Area what is where would you point them to have a wonderful cup of coffee some good food maybe a drink what's one of your favorite local haunts when you're when you're home when during the baseball season it doesn't have to be small it doesn't have to be the fanciest places but what's one of those places that you just you just feel at home when you go step into some place in the Oakland area well, well, keep in mind, when you talk about the Bay Area, you talk more about wine than you do about beer. And I live in the wine country during the baseball season. I live in Livermore, which has you know, miles and miles of uh, Chardonnay and Zippendale as far as the eye can see. And it's a wonderful place to be. 
my favorite restaurant is run by one of my dear friends it's called Massimo's, which is in Fremont, which is south of Oakland, about 20 minutes. And interesting, this year, Stephen Kwan, who, who plays for the Cleveland Indians, was a rookie right. of the year finalist. Uh, he's from Fremont. Uh, Cal Stevenson, who was an outfielder, played for us. He's from Fremont. Mark Mathias, an infielder with the Rangers. He's from Fremont. All got opportunities in the big leagues this year. Uh, Chris Flexen, who's a pitcher for the Seattle Mariners, came back from Korea, signed a two-year contract with them last two years ago. He's from Fremont as well. It's, it's an interesting small community that, that in 2022 had this great storyline of several kids that played together travel ball that suddenly found themselves on different major league teams. So Massimo's, which is a, uh, an Italian restaurant, uh, is a place that I like uh, a great deal. When I'm in San Francisco, my favorite Chinese restaurant is Henry's Hunan. They've got several locations in, in uh, San Francisco. The one I typically frequent is at the Church and 29th off of Cesar Chavez off the 101, just past downtown. It's right next door to the, to the church where they filmed several scenes from Sister Act. So, but <laughs> 90s Henry's classic Hunan was, 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 con- was considered back in a New York times article back in the seventies, the best Chinese restaurant in America. And they do something with the flavors, the layering of the flavors that I, you know, I certainly can't duplicate. And they're always welcoming just a very simple family operated cousins and aunts and uncles all run these different locations for them now. And just that those are the two, places that are probably top of this. I'm definitely going to be writing these down when I'm in town because I have family in San Francisco. I need to go visit them. So that's mm-hmm. going to be a good excuse to get some, get some good Italian and Chinese food in the Bay Area. Vince, I want to be respectful of your time. I've really enjoyed this conversation with you, getting to know all about a little bit more about you and obviously the the how amazing, uh, what amazing job you have as well and what an amazing job you do as well. We want to leave you by saying, of course, Vince is the Oakland Athletics radio play-by-play announcer. And if you're, if you would want to share with us where, or what radio station they can find you in the Bay Area, as well as any of your social media that they can start following you. Well, it, it, I, it's probably scary these days to say I'm still on Twitter because who knows what's going to happen with that site. But on Twitter, I'm at Vince Baseball. Uh, the Oakland A's very progressive in so many ways, and in our broadcast, we're probably at the forefront of that too. We were the first kid to do streaming, so we stream all of the games. Athletics.com. Uh, through the iHeartRadio app. But more importantly, that's a 24-hour station for us. We do Chris Townsend as our host. During the season, he's on Monday through Friday with our own three-hour pregame show. We all provide content for that, either through interviews or long-term features. I've done the 50 greatest players in A's history, the 50 greatest games in A's history, uh, these different evergreen-type stories that we can that we kind of put together. Last year, I did a Where Are They Now? Weekly feature, Tim Hudson, Dwayne Murphy, you know, the list went on and on. Uh, Jack Cusp, uh, Brandon Moss, uh, Tim Hudson, Houston Street, you know, those those types of things. So there's a lot of content, a lot of long-form interviews on our streaming product at athletics.com slash acecast. In town, we're on a Bloomberg 960 AM, and our A's network uh, pretty far-reaching, thanks to our friends in Sacramento at KHTK, which is 1170. 1140, rather, on, on the dial out of Sacramento, which is a very, very strong signal there. We're very thankful for that. I want to thank Vince Catronio for joining us this week. I really enjoy having interesting guests so we can all listen and learn from them and maybe have a laugh sometimes. We're lining up more guests for your enjoyment, 
this offseason. I also want to thank some new listeners from Kuala Lumpur, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, Gravesend, England, someplace in Serbia that I cannot pronounce. So we're going to bring in the HVP bullpen for this. Panchevo. Where was that? Panchevo. Panchevo, Serbia. And some city called Spring Grove. I have no idea if it's in Illinois, if it's in Maryland, if it's in Virginia. But what I do know is I want to thank you. I want to thank all of our loyal listeners. Remember, subscribe to the podcast if you want on Apple, Google, SoundCloud, or Spotify. A picture of this denizene drink, which is almost in my stomach, will be on Instagram and on Twitter. Let's get together next week for a brand new episode of HPP, Hipster Baseball Podcast. Bye. Bye.